God of grace, God of mercy and love, God of justice and power, God who has loved us unconditionally and shown us grace in the wilderness, we ask you to meet us here in this moment and in this time to form our hearts and our words that they would be yours, to form our movements and our actions that they would follow your paths. And God, if there are any ways in which today our words or our actions do not accord with you, we ask that you would help to show us and help us to start again tomorrow in your endless, endless second chances. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This month has been our Commitment to the City sermon series. And so we've been thinking about our city, Chicago, and the things that we love about it, and the ways in which we have related to this city or others. But I've also been thinking a lot about biblical cities and the kinds of cities that we encounter in the scriptures that God has offered us. None of them were quite as big as what we would call a city today, um, but a city then was what a city is now, which is a place where so many people came together um, that it was no longer just the people that you knew, right? Um, it becomes a city when it's no longer just your family and your cousin and your friends, the people who you can really know if you live in the country or even in the suburbs. But so many people that not everyone knows everyone's story and everyone's business, and enough people that you might meet someone who you haven't met before, um, or an experience that you didn't have if you lived in a place that didn't have quite so many reflections of God's nature. There are all kinds of cities in the scriptures, in the Hebrew Bible, in the New Testament, um, but one of my favorite kinds of cities is one that's not mentioned very often, um, but intrigues me, which is the cities of refuge. The cities of refuge from the law it was common in most Middle Eastern cultures that um, any place that was a place that was sacred to a deity, so people were you know, out there worshiping all kinds of gods, all kinds of things, all kinds of people and folks, um, whenever there was a place that was considered to be important to one of them, it would become a sanctuary for humans too. It was considered to be made so divine by that deity um, that humans who were escaping, you know, strife in their family or things that they had done, um, the protection of that deity would be offered to them too. And the Israelites had them just like others did. There were six cities, the cities of refuge, that were named places where anyone could go if they were at risk of harm in their home community. What it says specifically in the scriptures is that if you had committed manslaughter, or if you had hurt someone, if you were um, convicted of a crime and about to be killed <laughs> or about to be hurt, you could go to one of these cities of refuge and no one could take you away and no one could hurt you. It reminds me, people always forget, uh, people talk about the mark of Cain like it's a bad thing, right? Um, Cain did this terrible thing, he murdered his brother and then God put a mark on his forehead and so the mark must be a mark of badness, a mark of sin, a mark of terror. But what it actually was, was a mark that no one was allowed to harm him. <laughs> that although he had done something um, against his fellow man, further violence wasn't going to help, and this mark was supposed to protect him wherever he went. These cities were like that, <laughs> except whole places that one could go to live if you couldn't live where you came from. And I imagine, because I think this is always how it's worked in every generation and in every city, that it began to be not just those folks who had done something wrong and were escaping the consequences who came to the city of refuge, 
but all those who were no longer safe in their home city. That it became a place to go if you had been falsely accused and were no longer safe in your home city. That it became a place to go if your family, for some reason, could not see you or hold you or keep you safe in the way that families needed to. This could be a place you could go. That if you were of some type that your city could not abide, could not hold, you could go to these cities, these cities of refuge, and in them find the safety and wholeness that God is offering for each and every one of us. And I think that that's what a lot of us have found in cities, is a place of refuge, a place of sanctuary, from places that could not hold all of who we were and could not keep us safe. I lived in a lot of places and I've loved them all, um, but a story that I've heard over and over again about folks in Urban Village is that coming to Chicago for you was a time where you found, maybe for the first time, whether it was in a club or at work or at this church, seeing someone right, um, who lived your life and made you realize, maybe I don't have to hide anymore seeing two men or two women holding hands and realizing that maybe this was a place where you too could live into the fullness of the love and the grace that God was offering for you. Finding other people who had questions about the world who didn't always fit in, who were sometimes square pegs in round holes in the places where you came from, but this city was big enough. There were enough people and enough kinds of people that maybe there were some other square pegs too people with whom you could form community, people who could see you for who you were, a place of sanctuary, a place of refuge. Cities are by no means perfect. They have as much messed up stuff as everybody else. <laughs> but because we're so big, we're much more likely to have more than one of everything, <laughs> which means we're much more likely to have communities for everyone and places where anyone and everyone can feel safe and refuge and sanctuary. That's what I love about living in the city, and that's what many of us need about living in the city. Um, we have folks in our community. Uh, I was talking to someone who um, all she wants in the world is to like return to her family farm and be a gardener all day and live in her small town. But with her wife and her kids, she can't do that yet. And so this is the place, right, that can hold her in the meantime. This is the place where she can have a garden in the city <laughs> and work it out until she can make it work back home, until her home can make it work for her. So that's what the city has been for us. Um, that's what cities of refuge have been for the people of God for a really, really long time, for thousands upon thousands of years. And I think we can know how much that has meant to us to find a place that can hold us and see us. And so we have to start thinking about in a time that is becoming more and more dangerous for more and more people, how does our city become that place of safety for as many people at risk as possible? How do we become a sanctuary for all who seek? How do we become a sanctuary for all who need? A place where people can find not just community, but wholeness and protection from the forces in the world, the forces of evil and forces of harm that are coming after them. 
And I'm thinking about that today, of course, um, because there is a significant possibility that this week it's going to be announced that the federal government will no longer be protecting DACA recipients. Um, for those of you who don't know, this is uh, deferred action against childhood arrivals. Um, so folks who came to our country undocumented um, as children, as youth, and who were encouraged by the government to come out to tell the government who they were in order that they would receive protection and be able to enter into wholeness and fullness in our community um, with some of the rights of citizenship, being able to work and go to school. Um, and now that very walking into the light is going to be used as a weapon against them, potentially, right? Um, against us. <laughs> this is a lot of folks in our community, um, folks who don't have full status, don't have full papers, but are a part of our community, are a part of our city, are a part of our nation, have been contributing and a part of our families for years and for decades. And we have a godly responsibility <laughs> to, in whatever way it is possible, make this city a sanctuary for those who are going to be targeted in the days to come to make our homes, to make our churches a sanctuary for those who are going to be made unsafe in the days to come. It is what Jesus would do. It is what God has done for us. We must, must do it for others. I want to tell you a story about one of the churches that I admire most in this city, um, two actually, uh, Adalberto United Methodist Church and Lincoln United Methodist Church. Um, some of you folks may have heard of them. They're uh, little churches uh, southwest of here. They're in two, two different places. One's a little further west, one's a little southwest. Um, but both are pastored by a woman who I greatly admire and have gotten to work with a little bit, Emma Lozano. And um, they got very, very famous in about 2002 um, for taking in a family to offer sanctuary in their church who were undocumented. Uh, and they just announced last week that they're doing it again because the time has come again when people need protection. And so I want to show you a picture, um, a great company, they shall return here, we're going to talk about this a little bit, of Francisca Lino. Um, I'm, I'm not revealing her. She has purposely revealed herself in newspapers and in others. Um, she is a mother of six who up until last week lived in Bolingbrook, Illinois. Um, a mother of six American citizens who's been working here for years, who's a part of the Chicago community, who has friends and neighbors, um, and who uh, voluntarily offered a lot of information to ICE about herself um, in order to be able to stay and has been told that she may be deported. And so Lincoln United Methodist Church has decided you get to live here. In their church? <laughs> Our, yeah, in the church. So this is the sanctuary church moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, right? Yay. Yay, Lincoln United Methodist Church. Um, this is the Sanctuary Church Movement. 800 churches across our nation have made this commitment that people who are undocumented can live in their building. And what's amazing about it is that that's not actually any legal protection. <laughs> There's no law that says that ICE can't come into a church. They just don't yeah. <laughs> because they understand that that would not work out well <laughs> for them or their public reputation. They won't come into churches and they won't go into hospitals. That's the current policy, right? That they won't go into churches and they won't go into hospitals to deport people. Um, and so churches have offered their buildings to say, if we have become those cities of refuge, if we, by virtue of being places of God with the name of God upon us, have 
had the role in this country to become places of refuge, well, by God, we're going to act like it. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to move like it. We're going to take those risks, right? Because now everyone at that church, and those churches have a lot of undocumented congregants, just like we do, right? Those congregants are taking huge risks to protect somebody else by being public about what they're doing. But they're doing it because they know who Jesus was. <laughs> Not only was Jesus someone who loved each of us fundamentally, not only was Jesus someone who said to us, the rules do not matter in comparison to the sanctity of human life, Jesus was someone who literally had to run away from the place he was born in order to keep from being harmed, and I don't think anyone checked his papers at the border to Egypt. Right? Like the only reason that Jesus lives long enough to save us is because his family could take refuge in a place that was not their country, in a place that was not their home, so that he could live to be a young man and live to be a young adult and live to be the person who showed us what it means to be loved beyond all love. It is only because he could escape. It is only because he could find another home. How then can we follow him if we will not allow people to escape war-torn situations, if we will not allow people to escape death and destruction, if we will not allow people to follow the path that not only Jesus set, but Abraham and almost every generation of God before him, people who ran, people who moved, people who crossed borders in order to remain alive, in order to continue the work of God. How can we say that we serve him if we do not allow other people to take the path that he took to save us? How can we say? So sanctuary and refuge, turns out, are things we still need in our cities. Some of you may have heard that there's a movement to call cities sanctuary cities. Um, Chicago is one of those cities that is trying to call itself that. We can uh, debate whether it is actually a sanctuary. <laughs> There's still a lot of stuff we're doing that I would call not a sanctuary for undocumented people or people in general. Um, but that commitment is an important commitment to name and maintain if we're going to be a place for all of God's people to flourish and all of God's people to find wholeness. And figuring out the ways in which we can live into it deeper and better is going to be a part of our path, not only as members of this community, but as members of this church and members of God's uh, people who are called to be Jesus's feet and hands in this time and in this place. Urban Village doesn't have a building. <laughs> we can't invite anybody to live here, right? Um, ice comes into theaters. <laughs> um, but. But there are ways in which I think each of us in our lives and in our faith can find ways to be of greater sanctuary in this city. And the question for you is, what are those ways? What are those ways? So is it that um, you make yourself known as a resource in your workplace and in your community who can hook people up with people who know immigration law or who know one of these sanctuary churches or one of these places that is taking people in? Um, I would like to say, if you, if DACA is going to affect you or somebody in your family, um, talk to me, email me, phone me, whatever you feel comfortable with. We have a good friend who is an expert in this movement, who is an undocumented person herself, who uh, gave me permission this morning to give anyone her cell phone number, um, and we can connect you, right, to, to resources if you or your family are at risk. Um, it may be that you become the person who talks to your family who doesn't see, who doesn't see. Um, why undocumented people are at such risk and are a part of the fabric of our nation and are a part of the fabric of our faith in our community um, about what it means 
to see God in all and to see consequences, right? To not just see um, laws and abstract ideas, but to see what will happen to people. It's easy to have a long conversation about what's right legally, um, what's okay according to the letter of what is written down. It's much harder once we see what happens to people if we start going after undocumented people. The way in which families are separated, the way in which people die, <laughs> the way in which people are sent back to situations that are untenable and which they know they won't be able to live in. This is our family. <laughs> These are the people who Jesus has called us to be with and to be a part of, and we have to figure out ways to make our city a sanctuary for all, which is both showing up personally in our lives, who can we help, who can we hide, um, two of my favorite people in the whole Bible. This is one of those sermons where I'm just going to go all over the scriptures because yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. So two of my favorite people in the Bible are Shifra and Pua. Anybody know who Shifra and Pua are? Shifra and Pua, yeah. Ancient Egypt, they knew how to roll. Um, Shifra and Pua uh, are the reason, much like right, lack of border controls is the reason why Jesus is alive, Shifra and Pua are the reason why Moses is alive. Um, Shifra and Pua come at the beginning of the Exodus story, and they are Egyptian midwives. They are a part of the empire. They are a part, right, of the, the group that is so often in the Bible going exactly against God and exactly against God's people. They are a part of a system that is seeking to kill all of the Jewish people, but they can see that that is wrong. And they don't have all the power in the world. They're not the Pharaoh. They're not the Pharaoh's kids. They're not the Pharaoh's buddies. They're two midwives, right? But what they can do is, in their midwifery, protect who they can. And so they lie every single time they are told to make sure that a male child dies after he is born of the Jewish people. They instead say, we didn't get there fast enough. These Jewish women, they give birth so quick, don't know what happened to that son, right? They start lying to the system in order to protect these babies, in order to protect these children, and those children to grow up to be a generation of humans who otherwise would not have lived and would not have flourished. Shifra and Pua are a part of the group that has power, but because they cannot change the whole system yet, they find the place within the system where they can be creative. They find the place within the system where they can keep somebody, anybody safe. And they find that to be their movement of faith. And all of us, right, whether or not we can change the law tomorrow, can do that. <laughs> There's some way in which we can do that. And it's going to be an act of prayer for us to figure out what those ways are for us, what those ways are in our lives, in our circles of influence, in our communities, what are the places where we can make our city a city of sanctuary? We started out this month um, with Jeremiah, just like we're ending with Jeremiah. That's the scripture that we have. Um, and we started with the, so Jeremiah is like not in general a super uh, happy or optimistic book. <laughs> There's a reason, as we said, that uh, Jeremiah now means angry, angry screed that somebody yells out into the world. Uh, most of Jeremiah is Jeremiah um, watching his people get exiled, watching his people not follow God, and he's just like really mad and wants them to change everything about what they do and everything about, about what they're doing. Um, and, and we started with his advice that if you are in exile, if you are in a place where you feel like you don't belong, a, a time in your life that feels like this is not my life, this is not how things should be going, that you buckle down and you say, I am going to commit to the flourishing of the place where I am. I'm going to build houses. I'm going to build gardens. I'm going to not stop being a source of creativity and life, no matter what the things around me look like. I'm committing to even the places I don't like and even the places where I'm exiled and even the times in my life that feel crappy. 
Um, so that's where we started in Jeremiah, right? That no matter where you find yourself, commit yourself to being a source of God's creation, a source of God's grace. This is the one chapter, it's really kind of two and a half chapters of Jeremiah that are just incandescently happy and joyous. It's been known throughout history as the book of comfort or the book of consolation. It comes at the very end after he's described all of the terrible things that are happening in the world and all of the terrible things that are happening to the people. He sort of remembers, we may be screwing up, this may be hard, things may not be going well, but I do remember God and God's extraordinary nature. And let's think on that for a minute. And he meditates and he offers a poem and he offers a prayer and it comes out like this, that there will be found as once there was, as once long ago there was a grace in the wilderness, no matter how wild the wilderness feels, I have faith. That there will be found redemption and love and songs aloud on the mountain and grain and wine and oil, no matter how much it seems that these things are missing, I have faith. I have confidence that the nature of God is one that values every person, that the nature of God is one that sees in humanity and sees in people, not their papers, but their power and their person. I have confidence that there will be rejoicing and dancing and that mourning can be turned into joy and that comfort can come out of sorrow. We must remember this city that Jeremiah is describing, the city that we are intended for, the city that is the ideal, the city that is the godly city, the city that is the kingdom, because there are gonna be a lot of moments in life when the city we're in seems so hard and terrible that that city seems impossible, right? When the moment we're in in history or in our lives or in our relationship with our families or our relationship with God seems so iffy and strange and risky and hard that imagining this kind of God and this kind of city where there is joy and merriment and where all are welcome, it says the young and the old and the blind and the lame and the pregnant and the kids, where all are welcome and all are held and all are safe and all are joyous, it will seem like a fantasy. But it's not a fantasy, it's a promise. It's not a fantasy, it's a promise. And the promise is that if we remain committed to this vision, if we hold it in our hearts and we hold it in our souls and we hold it in our minds, and if most importantly, we let it be our engine, we let it move our bodies so that our bodies become workers towards this city, workers for this city. Believers that this kind of vision that God has of a place where all are safe and all are welcome could be one day a reality. We are given the power to bring little bits of it forth every day. We are given the power like Shifra and Pua to keep one safe or keep one more, to change one heart or change one more. And if we hold in our hearts and our souls and our minds that conviction that God is who God says God is, that Jesus is who Jesus says Jesus is, and that the people of God are who God has told us who they are, people of infinite worth and dignity and value no matter their circumstance in life, we can move this city closer and closer to being what God's intention for it is, a city of sanctuary, safety, and wholeness for all. We will not get there tomorrow. 
We will not get there in our lifetime, but we are called by circumstance and by the times of history, by the times that are putting undocumented people and really all Latinx people, right, um, at a profound risk. We are called to be walls against that and to be forces of love and protection in the midst. And I believe that like Lincoln and like um, uh, uh, Adalberto, which we'll be sending all of you articles about them this week if you're curious, we can learn how to do it in whatever place we find ourselves in our lives. Let us invite God to meet us there, to show us the way, um, and to help all people who are of worth, all people who disagree and agree, and all people who see God and who don't, to see the ways in which God is in the life of every single person on this earth and the ways in which we are all called to serve that life. Amen? Amen. Amen.